0: Please be aware, in this episode of the Life After Cardiac Arrest podcast, it gets quite emotional at times and the subject of suicide is brought up. If you feel you need any help, please talk to the Samaritans on 116 123. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Life After Cardiac Arrest podcast with me your host Paul Swindell. Today I'm joined by Joanna Balgani from Bath who is a cardiac arrest survivor from 2014 I believe.
1: Yeah that's right 2014 July.
0: So you're just about five well coming up to five years. uh, It's a very similar time frame to myself and uh, actually we, we met probably about nine months after yours didn't we back in february 2015 do you can you remember that meetup
1: i absolutely can remember and the sheer joy of actually connecting with other people who um had experienced the same thing it was incredible
0: yeah it was it was a bit of a punt wasn't it really going back then it was uh because there wasn't really i didn't know anyone else who had had a cardiac arrest and i'm sure most of the other people who turned up at that meeting and i think there was uh with you, I think there was 13 of us, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, I think there were eight survivors and um, and then various family members. Uh-huh. Yeah. And a, a fantastic meeting and one that we all, um, I think we all really appreciated, that connection.
0: How, how did you feel about going going to a pub in London, meeting a bunch of strangers?
1: Yeah. Um, and I was I didn't feel nervous if I'm honest. I was I was excited. I wanted to meet other people who felt the same and I felt like you'd made such a great effort to get us all together and I thought it's really important that that we that we made the effort if we could and um and I was so glad, so very glad that we did.
0: Uh-huh. And that, that as I say, it was about nine months after your arrest. So uh, could you well, could you tell me a little bit about your life before the arrest?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My life before, um, I'd been an army wife for about 20 years, um, moving all over the country and the world. Um, I had uh, retrained to become a teacher about um, five years before, maybe three years before at that time, um, and had just come back from three years in Kuwait where I'd been working um, full-time as as a teacher. And We'd come back to England. We were quite excited um, to be back in England, but also my husband had just got, just come back um, from six months in Afghanistan. So it was a time of, of um, a lot of um, turmoil in our lives and yet also kind of stability as well because we kind of felt like we were on the homeward bound. We were now going to be living in the UK for the next few years and the children were established at school and I was finally teaching in the UK. I felt like everything was in a in quite a good place, really.
0: Mm-hmm. And where, whereabouts was that in the UK? Uh,
1: we were living in um, a place called Trivenham, which is between Oxford and Swindon.
0: Mm-hmm. Is that sounds like a small village type place, is that it's, right?
1: It's a small village, um, and it has one bus link to um, either Oxford or, or Swindon.
0: Uh, I sort of brought that up because that sort of, part of your story i believe which we can come on to later with yeah, uh, regards absolutely. to being a little bit out in the sticks
1: absolutely it was out in the sticks yeah
0: so so you've uh, been away in uh jetting around the world or been uh, working various places and then you've come back home and uh you think like so so do you think you were less stressed at that point or more stressed from doing all the move and, and everything and how was your health in general
1: uh, my health in general i thought was fine um what i i had started doing a a job um in quite a challenging school in swindon and um i do think that the stress levels that i had there were quite high just simply in the job not in my life particularly but i do think in the job i was i was increasingly stressed um more than i'd been used to Mm-hmm. which i th- which i think we've we've thought about this before um having always been told that stress didn't contribute i do think that the pressure that i was under at that time was high whether it was whether it was enough to to cause what happened i've no idea
0: and you you mentioned that you had uh, children as well were th- were they uh with you at home and were they causing stress at all uh
1: well no more than than the than you would expect um my two eldest um actually all three of them at that time were at boarding school um because my husband was in is in the army um we get help with going to boarding school and especially you know having been apart um their their education would have been very disrupted so the elder two had been at boarding school for a long time and the little one who at that time um was Wanted desperately to join them, and so she did. So she went to the same school that they did. That did cause me not stress, as in um, uh, agitation, but I was very upset. I did miss ha- the fact that I had no children left at home. Um, mm-hmm. So that that was a factor as well.
0: Okay, could you could you uh, sort of tell me about the actual? Um... Event now, I believe it's in July, wasn't it? You said, um, yeah,
1: yes, it was. It was, um, um, Jemima, my youngest, who's 10, was, um, it was her birthday, um, her 10th birthday, and we drove down to stay with um, a very old, a good girlfriend of mine, uh, who was celebrating her 50th birthday a couple of days later and was having a party. And we went to a place in Devon that we're very familiar with. We had the most wonderful evening, um, at the party, and then um, my friend had arranged for us to stay with friends of hers because there were so many people staying with her. Um, so we stayed on a farm, not far from um, from where my friend was, but but the but it was in the it was in the middle of nowhere where this farm was. Um, and so, at the end of the evening, we went home, uh, went to bed, and then had one of the the luckiest things um, that happened. The hosts had left us had given us a room with a double bed and a single bed and uh, my husband had been drinking quite a bit we all had so that was fine but he snores quite a lot an awful lot actually when he has been drinking so he suggested um and I agreed readily that he goes in the single bed and Jemima and I go in the double bed we just thought we'd all get more sleep that way um and thank god we did because um at about five o'clock in the morning Jemima was awoken by me um doing uh, very erratic movements jerky movements and making very strange noises like I was um bubbling foaming at the mouth and she was frightened um and she says she fell asleep but I can't believe that she actually did um because she then woke again she says so it's obviously we don't know what happens we only take what other people tell us and then jemima um realized something was wrong and she did something she'd never done before and she woke up her daddy um who just thought that i was having a bad dream um and then he thought i'd swallowed my tongue and he tried to get my tongue out of my mouth and he realized that my jaw was very very stiff um and he realized then that i wasn't breathing he took my pulse. He knew everything everything to do um, because he had just, as I say, come back from Afghanistan and his medical training was right tip top, um, thank God. And he realised quite, quite quickly that um, he needed to do something. So he just pulled me onto the bed, called to Jemima to, to go and wake up the other people in the house, bearing in mind this was a house she'd never stayed in. She didn't know the people and she's just 10 years old. I think it was absolutely terrifying absolutely which which will perhaps explain what happened later um so he then carried he started the c p r he gave me fantastic c p r um which broke most of my ribs or the the stuff between them um and he had to do it for quite a long time because um at, at the time that they the the family was were telephoning um it was actually milking time on the farm. So as the ambulances arrived, they, um, they were stopped by the cows going down the, the lane to the farm, which is oh amusing no. afterwards, but wasn't quite so good apparently at the time. And and then they came and uh, I believe they um, it took two shocks for them to get me back. And then they, uh, then they drove off with me and Alistair following. So that was my event. So I went to Torbay uh, Hospital, absolutely fantastic care, um, and emerged a week later into the sunlight with an ICD and I'm wondering what on earth the hell had happened.
0: Uh-huh. Just just going back to the actual event, it's probably just worth mentioning that you were saying that you were... Uh foaming it in the mouth and making funny noises and funny breathing for anyone listening that that's agonal breathing and that's a a sure sign that someone's in cardiac arrest um which obviously most people don't actually know prior um but it's something I've learned and a lot of people have said that they or partners have said that they've they've seen this happen to their to the um the patient and uh, it's a good sign and it's a good there's a good page on the Sudden Cardiac Arrest UK uh, website actually all about that with, uh, with someone actually simulating what goes on and doing a good job as well. But um, yeah, I just thought I'd bring that up.
1: Yeah, no, and it is a really good point. And it, it's actually that, that doing that breathing and doing those jerky movements were what saved my life because otherwise Jemima wouldn't have woken up. And we don't believe that Alistair would have woken up if um, – you know, you're used to sharing a bed with someone else when you're married, and you you wouldn't necessarily, you know, you wouldn't necessarily respond. A if you're a bit inebriated, and you, you just wouldn't respond, and you're tired. Um, I don't believe that Alistair would have woken up if he'd been in the bed with me. So I'm mm-hmm. um, very grateful that Jemima was, and that she uh, and that she responded as she did.
0: Yeah, oh, a, a right heroine there.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, and so. Do- do, prior to the actual event, had you felt um, any different to normal? Had you sort of uh, sensed anything that was wrong in your body the previous uh, evening or day?
1: No, absolutely nothing at all. I, and I've gone over and over it. I know it's um, very hard to remember those previous days anyway. They kind of blank out for a while. But no, I, I can think of nothing that that was out of ordinary. None of us could um so no, it came completely out of the blue, as I as I believe it does.
0: It seems to for very many people, and hence, hence the the name sudden cardiac arrest.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, um, very sudden.
0: So so, how long do you think your husband did CPR for, or does no one there?
1: Uh, we think it's about twenty five minutes. Um, wow! But it was very. I am confident it was extremely good um, CPR. As, as we all have, obviously we all had very good, but I think the fact that um the fact he just wouldn't wouldn't have stopped he said
0: did he do it all on his own
1: yeah, he did the farmer who was the people that, who was the family that we were staying with offered to take over for him, and he just wouldn't let them
0: yes i think i know from speaking with others that it's uh, an incredibly exhausting uh, thing to actually have to do and uh, go through.
1: Um,
0: so, my well, hats off to his, his fitness and strength. I
1: know. And he said, as he was doing it, the the sweat was pouring down his nose and dropping on my face. And he was thinking, <laughs> "Oh, she won't like that. She won't like that at all." But in the as it was, it's. um Sorry, I'm getting quite emotional. I didn't think I would do. Sorry, Paul.
0: Um, that's okay. Sorry, sorry no, for putting you no, in that state.
1: You, you haven't. It's just. you know what it's like it's quite emotional to recount and for us of course it's nothing because we're out of it but for them you just think of their anguish and it's horrible sorry I'm fine Paul okay
0: um okay so we'll move on so so you were you went to the uh, Torbay hospital did you say
1: yes I did I went there and um was you
0: put in a coma? You know? No, I
1: wasn't. I wasn't, which I think is unusual because it seems to me most people were. But um, I came back, you know, after they took two shocks, as I say, um, and I was out of it for two days. Like I have there's no remem- no memory at all. But they did all the tests and, and everything. And, um, you know, it's just like so many of us, came back with no understanding of what's wrong. Your heart is... Is um, structurally fine. In fact, very, very good. Um, all the tests came back negative. MRI. I, I don't know how many there were, um, but uh, left as I does say. Does become
0: a bit of a blur, doesn't it, it when you're in it hospital? Absolutely
1: does. And and I suppose very much um, I rely on what alistair's told me, and because he didn't leave my side, and they just they just couldn't they just didn't know what what had happened. Apparently, halfway through the week, there was a there was a worry. Um, the, all the all the lights went off. They thought I was going to have another one, um, but but it but it didn't. My my heart calmed itself down apparently on its own. So that was that was the only thing that wasn't completely straightforward. And then um, and then got the ICD and and left the next day. Which you know after such a catastrophic event, I can remember thinking that we both thought, "My God, do, do we just leave?" You know, you've only been in there six days. I can't quite believe that. We allowed to go out and they without them knowing what what caused it but um but that is what happened and and so then the,
0: sorry, I was just going to say they 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 put this ICD, ICD in there because um they couldn't find out what happened, and that was sort of a insurance policy if you like,
1: yeah absolutely yeah and and just told us to to go off and and live our life normally, and that most people don't have any shocks and and just go and recover and and create your new normal he said nothing will ever be normal again the consultant he said you go off and create your new normal and that and that's what we thought we did so we that's what we went off and did but I can remember driving up the the motorway and just thinking my god that that has just happened it's like a bomb literally like a bomb going off in our family it was incredible
0: Mm -hmm. I can I can well I can totally imagine that and the fact that you're I don't know how far away you were from your home but it sounds at least 100 miles is it or something like that yeah that must have added uh, to the chaos as well yeah
1: um, it was it was very it was very difficult the whole thing but uh, yeah
0: did, did that add to why they um Discharged you after only six days because, I, I, having seen um, what a lot of people or well, the length of time that people are in hospital, it, it does tend to be longer than six days, and it does seem quite short. But it, I, does,
1: it does seem. But I think I, I agree with with what that there was simply nothing else to do. They had done every check. They had they had done everything, and um, and I would you know with the ICD in, you are safe, aren't you? So they so they let me go. But what was Where it fell down after that was because it happened in Torbay and we lived in near Swindon. Nobody actually did anything. Nobody. uh, There was no communication as far as I know um, between um, Torbay and Swindon or if they did it, it didn't get picked up. So basically I was lost. I went back to the doctor about a week later to check on my my scar, which was healing very well. But then nothing else happened. Nothing else happened for, I don't know, three months, maybe. I didn't go and see a doctor. I didn't have a, any, I just, I'd fallen through the cracks. So um, I can't even remember how how that changed. But um, I think I thought who was going to check on the ICD because I hadn't been told anyone. Um, uh, and eventually I, I was put in contact with the cardio, cardiac, Wiltshire cardiac um unit in swindon and they they were just flabbergasted that there'd be no aftercare at all and Uh um i I mean i literally was off the radar of anybody um i say that i think the doctor thought that it was being dealt with and the everybody thought someone else was dealing with it but it but actually nobody was was dealing with it at all but it but it Mm -hmm. all worked out it all worked out fine and i i made the contact with the right place
0: uh-huh. So did you come out of the hospital with any medications at all? Was there no one to actually? Sort of... No no medication,
1: no, nothing.
0: nothing. Uh, so you're very similar to me in that I came out of the hospital with no yeah. meds and an ICD, but at least I did have an ICD uh, follow-up for scheduled for a couple of months afterwards. But it, it sounds like um, it was quite disjointed in your case. So they are presumably in different health service areas or hospital areas, aren't they?
1: Yeah. I guess so and I mean it's very unusual having it away from home and then the fact that we we move around so often you know you don't have an established relationship with a doctor when you move every two years you hardly ever go I don't think I'd been to the doctor for for years anyway so it it was it was strange but 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 as I say it all worked out and I got taken on by Swindon and um they started doing my pacing checks um so, so I, I felt okay, but then I didn't. I felt like I hadn't actually seen a consultant, and I mentioned it once to, to them at the pacing clinic, and they went, "Oh, haven't you? Who, you haven't you seen anyone?" I said, "No, no, I haven't spoken to anyone." And so they arranged an appointment for me. So it all took quite a long time, but, um, but yeah, we got there in the end. And and to be honest, there were other I mean, things. It's not, that not were great
0: considering you've probably gone important. through the worst sort of trauma that anyone can go through of a sort of a a temporary dying as it were some people call it clinically dead Um, yeah so how were you feeling in yourself um those sort of months afterwards you know uh did how and how was your health
1: um my health was fine as it takes time obviously to recover from the um from the trauma to the to your chest to the rib cage and so on and um I can remember being so sad when my daughters when I they would make me laugh not on purpose but I would laugh and then I'd say oh please you can't don't make me laugh because it hurts so much to laugh and I can one of my daughters said that was so sad to you know to think that they couldn't make me laugh because it hurt me um it, it was a strange time it was really strange it was I've described it as a bomb going off and that's what it felt it felt like the you know like the, the ripples of effect were, were on everybody. Um, my husband didn't talk about it really. Um, he went into himself. He was very sad. Um, my daughters were sad and angry. Um, and, and I felt, oh dear, it's very hard this bit. I felt at one point, at one point, I genuinely thought it would have been better if i died because of the trouble that I'd caused. And yes, they would have been sad, but at least they wouldn't have this non-mother anymore, this non-wife. This person who just was asleep all the time. And uh had no energy and and just was you know in a in a very strange state. So it was a tough time.
0: Are you okay to Yes, carry I am. On? God, I'm
1: so sorry.
0: No, don't you don't have to apologise one bit. I know exactly what you're talking about, and I'm sure there are many others. If people survivors are listening and partners, uh, it, it's a familiar, familiar story. The, the last person I was speaking to um, talked about the, the the darkness being very welcoming and uh, possibly at times wanting to go back there, and uh, yeah, it, it's it it's uh i think it just shows that there's a need that isn't being addressed with survivors that there's a the psychological impact of as well as the obvious physical impact but there's a, a there's a just something not being addressed and there's uh there's a lot going on in the mind and the and the fi- family dynamics i mean I imagine your your husband you mentioned he's been uh, in the army for a long time i'm sure he's probably seen a few things that he'd rather not have seen, and but having it happen to his wife is, uh, you know, I can't imagine really, and I can't imagine what Tracy went through as well.
1: And and it is it is um, it is the the feeling that you have, even though you didn't mean to do it in any way, it is the feeling that you um, that you create you have created this sadness, that you have created this trouble. Um, that that was a guilt that I felt Um, I knew there was nothing I could do I knew I hadn't had the cardiac arrest um, because of you know anything I'd done wrong I knew it had just come out of the blue but I I did feel the guilt and still sometimes not so much now do do feel the guilt of what I had put them all through
0: yes I, I totally understand that yes
1: It was interesting, going back to one thing you said there about someone saying they wanted to go back to the darkness. Um, And this seems to be something that that people are interested in. But I I have a very vivid vision of what happened when I died. And it wasn't dark at all. It was all completely light. Um, And this isn't an after, you know, an out-of-body experience or anything. But I do remember very, very vividly, and the picture became clearer in the days afterwards, of being in a completely white place of being on a ledge all white all smooth no no edges just a being and that the the feeling was very much that there was a slope down on the le- on you know to the side of the of the ledge that i was on and everything everything was pulling me to go down that ledge but i just didn't want to i just didn't want to and i think that was me kind of wavering on whether or not you're going to go you know you're going to die or not was a weird feeling but it gave me huge huge comfort and no i I have no worry about death or at all as a result of what happened none at all
0: Mm -hmm. i mean do you you think there's any significance in it um do you have do you have any sort of uh religious beliefs that that would sort of make that uh happen or is it just something No,
1: no i have absolutely no religious beliefs. It was, um, it's just simply a kind of peace. It just felt like peaceful, utterly, utterly calm. Um, yeah, I do take great comfort from that.
0: Do, do you have any other memories of the the time? Because um, my my experience is that I have no memory of that period at all. And I was speaking to another survivor just the other day, and she had uh, not. She had, as I said, she had the, the 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 blankness of when she was clinically dead, but she had um, memories of the actual arrest, and she was resuscitated a number of times, Gosh. and the, the the memories of of those being resuscitated and the time in between was was essentially haunting her, with the and PTSD played a big part in her. recovery I mean how what about you have you got any memories of the actual
1: time around there no I've got no personal memories at all they are all um the result of what other people have told me um and their anguish upsets me but I have no I have no recollection at all apart from this kind of this whiteness I have no, I have nothing actually of the whole time and I think that that's been another benefit of having such a poor memory now, um, which I think is one of the, um, you know, the after effects, um, is actually quite a good one because I can't remember things at all about what happened then. I can't even remember really the dark days afterwards, um, which which again is I take as quite a blessing, frankly.
0: Uh-huh. So how would you describe your, your memory situation sort of now then? Is it improved?
1: Um, I think it's stabilised. Um, I think it it was shocking, absolutely shocking. It's still nowhere near as good as my peers, because um, I think obviously you, you you lose some with age. But I I think this is more than just normal. I I I yeah, I do find my short term memory quite blown, frankly.
0: You mentioned age. Am I uh, allowed to ask your age?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the cardiac arrest happened when I was 50 and now I'm now 55.
0: And um, the, the term that people I, I've come to use and I've, I've learned from uh, from a doctor is sequelae is the sort of conditions or the result of, of something happening to you. So uh, the memory is a sequelae of the cardiac arrest or the hypoxia. What what other Uh, sequelae have you have you suffered from or noticed that's different to how you were before
1: i would say that in in those few months after the cardiac arrest it was the memory but it's actually the medication that i i then went on beta blockers following a subsequent shock um just under a year later and that the effects of the beta blockers for me were were extremely they were dreadful they were absolutely dreadful they they are the the reason that that things be, took a long time for me personally to get better
0: what beta blockers were you put on
1: um oh paul i can't remember i can't remember <laughs>
0: As a good example of your bad memory. Yes, absolutely.
1: There you go. I'm sorry, I can't remember. But um okay. I was on initially two and a half milligrams of whatever they are, and then they went up to five. Um
0: but bisoprolol?
1: Bisoprolol, that is the one. I can recognise it, I just can't remember it. Um and I was on those for three and a half years, and they sapped my joy, basically.
0: Uh-huh. but you you did mention earlier that you you uh i think said spent a lot of time asleep was uh was tiredness and fatigue a problem
1: tiredness and fatigue was a problem as a result of the um of i guess of the recovery of the of the whole event yes sorry i should have added that you see again my memory um <laughs> but but that and and you know in those early days i was asleep for 20 hours of the day when you know when i first came back um which i guess is what people would perhaps be doing in hospital but i i carried on sleeping i was asleep all the time in my memory uh my very limited memory um but that that slowly got better as i as i as i healed physically and so on and 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 that we sorted things out in our in our family because there were other effects there um but the beta blockers, they didn't just, for me, they didn't just um, make me tired, which they did. They just, they sapped my, I felt like I lived in a fog. They sapped my my joy. God, I'm making it sound very dramatic. Yeah, they really, <laughs> nice. they really I, I hated them. But realized there was nothing else that could be done at that time because um, unlike many of you, I had a subsequent shock. Um, so I had my first shock. In May, uh, bearing in mind that was uh, like ten months, I think, after the card- first cardiac arrest, and I'd had food poisoning the night before, and so I guess I was dehydrated, and I it was polling day in two thousand and fifteen, and my husband had come up because he was going to vote where where I was staying at that time because I moved to be nearer my daughter, um, who was at boarding school, and anyway, so. I'd had this bad food poisoning although I th- I thought it was food poisoning but he didn't get it and we'd eaten the same meal so perhaps it wasn't. And I woke up early in the morning and um I I had been sleeping on the sofa because I w- knew I was disturbing him and I went back into the bedroom and as I walked into the bedroom and almost like a bubble is up in up in the air I said my heart is beating incredibly fast and as I as I as that came out of my mouth, and I just sat down on the bed, and he'd put his arms around me. I got the most almighty shock to my body. I had no idea what had happened. I, I just, I came round blinking and had no idea what it was. I apparently I'd screamed out. Um, he could feel a jolt in me, but didn't know what it was. And then I realised, you know, almost as quickly as that had happened, that it must have been a shock, and. Uh, just as i realized that it had been a shock i had another one and and then i had another one they're about 20 30 seconds apart and um, and this isn't going to be helpful what i'm about to say i'm afraid because although after one shock it wasn't it wasn't too bad if if i could say that because by the time i'd realized what had happened it was over but when i had a second one and then a third one and thinking that there was going to be another one, I it was absolutely, absolutely horrendous. The sh, the people talk about it being like you're being hit, uh, kicked by a a horse or something. Well, I've never been hit by a horse, and nor have I been shot. But I felt like it was I'd been shot in my chest. That's what it felt like, like a bullet had gone through my chest. And and it if if there had been a big red button that I could have pressed that would have ended my life at that minute, I would have pressed it through sheer panic of the, of the effect that this was happening and that it had happened once, twice, three times. So I know that all sounds very dramatic, but it really was, it really was tough. It was really tough.
0: Oh, I can imagine it was. I mean, I haven't been in that position to have received a shock from my icd so i don't personally know what it's like but um, um I, i've heard similar recounts basically of what you just said that um you know the first first one especially if you if it happens while you're asleep you might not even notice it or it's over before you do notice it and but i i i've also heard of many people Suffering from anxiety and uh, worry about it's going to happen again, and it sounds like that's that's what happened to you. And um, but I think you're probably quite unusual that you've had multiple shocks within a. It's I wouldn't call it a shock storm, maybe, but it, it, no. obviously something wasn't quite right with your heart, and it needed to to fire multiple times. But. um and okay. and i
1: think i was just incredibly unlucky i mean obviously i was we're we're all unlucky that it happened but i think um it, i was unlucky that that happened as it as it did um i think i was probably dehydrated so um i always te- take great care now to make sure that i am yeah. hydrated i always have richard's banana one of um the people that we met together, do you remember at that first meeting was a, a fantastic guy called Richard. And he told us about how he always had a banana in the morning to, I think it's for the potassium, but it might be the magnesium. Forgive me. No, it's the potassium. Um, yes. That's potassium. Right. And so I, every morning I have Richard's banana. And so I, I, does I he do, know he,
0: You call it Richard's banana.
1: <laughs> I don't know if he does. That might be, it might be rather bizarre. Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, so I, I do think that being dehydrated had a big effect, uh, had a big – something big to do with what happened that time. I do, really, um, and not least because I'd had um, D&V and I suspect all my salts were out of sync. And I also now always carry um, a little um, bag of salts, uh, you know, the little rehydration salts. So if They're I'm ever feeling Electrolytes. A bit electrolytes. If I'm ever feeling a bit woozy, I will have one even – yeah even now, you know it's so it's something that I do that uh, that is kind of part of my armory to try and avoid that. I think that that shock um experience was was from the dehydration and the unbalance of my salts that that's what happened. as a result of that one, um I was put on beta blockers.
0: And they, they tend to uh, reduce your heart rate, don't they, uh, considerably? So, hopefully. yeah, they
1: they did, and um, so that carried on. And um, then a year later, I was I had another shock. So I was in Scotland away away, of course, always, and um, I had a home monitor then. So um, I had been I had then said to Alistair that I was feeling a bit funny. Um, and he'd gone to get me a cup of tea this was early in the morning everything for me happens between 5 and 8 in the morning so this was this would happen early in the morning and he said i'll go and get you a cup of tea cuz i just cuz i was going to have a shower but i felt a bit funny and he went out to get the cup of tea i don't remember anything else and he came back in to see me jolt off the bed so um and then the next thing I so I see from him going out to have a cup of to get make me a cup of tea and the next thing I see is him right in front of my face going are you all right are you all right what's happened you know do you feel okay and I had absolutely no idea what had happened so had clearly passed out and uh, and had had the shock um but even then we didn't know whether or not I'd had one until we got home And um, we got home about midnight that night and um, Alistair made me sit in front of the home monitor for 20 minutes before we went to bed. And the next morning, first thing in the morning, the hospital rang me and said, come straight in. You've had another shot. You're not allowed to drive, Um, which was a bit of a blow because I'd just got a new job and I was about to start that the following week. But um, I then went in. They um, changed my um, setting on my ICD, which had been set with the lowest setting as being fifty, they made it to seventy. So, um, so that that again had quite a, an effect on me. It was quite a, a quite a demoralising effect um, because, of course, I'd had another shock. I couldn't drive, and now not only was I on the beta blockers, but I was also you know, the lowest rate of my heart was seventy, so I felt like I, f- I felt bizarre, frankly. So that was that one.
0: What 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 was the reasoning by raising your lowest heart rate to seventy? Because
1: the reasoning uh, for that was because um, when they looked at the ECG, as I understand this, um, they saw two ectopic beats and. They thought that was as a result of the heart going too slow, the heartbeat the heart rate being too slow. And they thought that by raising it up to 70, that would avoid me having um, ectopic beats. That apparently there were there was an ectopic beat, ectopic beat, and then I went into cardiac arrest. That's what they saw on the um, trace after after that one.
0: And uh and how's it been since?
1: Oh dear, Paul. Then I had <laughs> um <laughs> then I was called one day out of the blue and and this was it I, I stopped driving then um a I'd lost my confidence and b I just um I I understood that I was going to lose it then for two years because um it had been a second shock and, and there were they had no idea why um so I stopped driving kind of for good really and it was coming up to the time when I was thinking I would I was getting my confidence back that I thought maybe it's about time that I drive I could drive again and literally I know and I know other people I've had another person has said they were doing this I was filling out the forms um when I got the phone call to say um filling out the forms for the DVL when I got a phone call from the hospital to say I'd had a shock that morning which I had absolutely no idea about Actually, when I say a shock, what I'd had was I think what you had when the the um, ICD delivers therapy, but it didn't give a complete shock. Is that right?
0: Um, I, I haven't had that. No, I it, my I had a uh, a self terminating episode of VF or a couple of them. So my my ICD I think takes about eight seconds to charge up, but my episode had stopped before it had finished charging. So it didn't, right. it didn't essentially do anything for me because it was too over too quickly but um
1: i think i think that mine was something like that it wasn't a full shock but it was something like it was about to be a shock yeah, so i don't it, know if that's similar sometimes um, it, it definitely, de- yeah it had delivered therapy but not not a not a full shock
0: yeah sometimes that's right they can de- deliver, a, deliver a therapy to try and uh, pace you out of going into yes. vf
1: which is that's what happened so that happened in the january so then it wasn't going to be i would say i wasn't going to be driving then and then um so i waited six months for that and um applied for my license again and then and while i was waiting for the license to be processed i was constantly ringing the dvla um i had another shock in my sleep in august last year so <laughs> that put paid to that again so um so then I realized that I needed to do something drastic. So I had been talking to um somebody on our in our group who was someone who had had a cardiac arrest but then had had subsequent shocks and uh, was there's he not idi- many people.
0: idiopathic
1: He was uh, he had been idiopathic but then he had been um he had been diagnosed with a tentative um, uh, um, diagnosis of early repolarization syndrome, which is very similar to Brugada, I think. I may be wrong, but I'm not necessarily that it's not necessarily genetic. I'm not sure. Anyway, he told me about this other drug that he did, which was quinidine, which is used to treat malaria and it's not actually licensed for the treatment of um, life-threatening arrhythmias, but that they had let him have it. And he hadn't had any subsequent shocks. I think now, as we are now, I think he's seven years down with no shocks, having had, like me, several shocks. Um, and he, he was driving and everything. He was my inspiration. And I met him through the Facebook group um, as the only other person that I'd come across who had this similar kind of diagnosis. And so I went to the doctor, my consultant, brilliant consultant that I'm under, um, Julian Ormond in um, Oxford, and he started the process of trying to get me um, the same drug. And also I wanted the, the 70 setting changed on my on my ICD. I felt like that whatever they were doing wasn't working and I needed something to change and with his support, I finally, just before Christmas, um, got on to hydroquinidine, three hundred milligrams, um, and that has that has been absolutely fantastic. I came off the beta blockers, um, and I um, I can now walk up hills. I stay awake all day. I I am so much happier as a result of this. Um, of this new drug and I don't know how much of it is in my mind but I tell you it's brilliant I think also I feel like it's almost my my last chance I know they can increase the um the dosage um but it does have quite a few side effects and so I wouldn't really want to increase the dosage but it, touch wood and fingers crossed this seems to be working for me and touch wood I haven't had any shocks since August last year.
0: Well, that's great great to hear that. I must admit, I hadn't heard of uh, was it hydroquinidine. It's
1: hydroquinidine, although antith- it can be also called just quinidine, or it can be. I believe the the other guy is on uh, quinidine sulfate, but they're all very similar.
0: Quinidine, oh, the only uh, mention uh, that, uh, or oh, the only reason I know that is, isn't that in uh, gin and tonic?
1: Well, I think it's, um, I think it's an ancient cure. I think it was a Red Indian cure, a Native American cure. So. It has all sorts of beneficial benefits, I think, but yeah, I think you are right
0: well um so you you mentioned that it, it has some side effects do you know are you experiencing any of those or is it only in higher doses?
1: um no, I did at the beginning. you have very very bad um uh, um like almost constant diarrhea at the beginning, but that but that goes um. And I did get quite a few headaches. But then I know so many people, you especially, have had bad headaches. So I kind of thought, well, hopefully it will pass. And touch wood, those have passed as well. Um, And I also made a really conscious decision not to read the, um, you know, not to read the information pack, um, you know, leaflet with all the possible side effects because I thought I might get them then. (laughs) <laughs> and also, they were written in French, so um, that helped me um, avoid reading those. So, yeah, honestly, it's a really that's been really a real life changer for me.
0: That's great to hear. Talk, talking about uh, life changing, you you mentioned basically that um, several times you lost your license, and I I think you're not driving now. Is that right? And,
1: no, I am. I am oh, now driving. The oh, you DVLA. are. The DVLA finally sent my license through based on the July um, request that I'd put through. However, they didn't know about the shock I'd had in August. So they sent me my license. It took them nine months to agree it. Um, and then I spoke to them and said, I've just got this license. Am I, is that true that I'm able to drive? But then we realized that they didn't know I hadn't told them about the August, um, the August uh, shock. So they did a kind of... A quick assessment and they said as long as your doctor is happy for you to drive you can drive and just we need all that information now and so I'm driving at the moment based on the fact that my consultant is happy for me to drive and uh so so yes finally after three years I'm driving again
0: yeah, that's great because um, yes <laughs> I I believe or I know that um it caused you a lot of uh not inconvenience, but uh, well, yes, inconvenience, but trouble, because as we mentioned uh, at the beginning, you were living um, in a small village outside of Swindon, and you you were just about to start a new job, weren't you?
1: yeah, I was, and um yes it has it has really caused it did cause us to really rethink everything, so um another fantastic thing that I got through the through our group was um I was about to start this job I'd lost my license um after that um, second shop, and one of the people on the on the information you know on our group said about access to work access to work um, enabled me to get a taxi to and from my job I was working two days a week um, and I did it for about I don't know three or four months um and I think it's say 75 or 80 percent of the of the fare was covered by the government and the rest was paid by me and that was that was simply incredible that was um I, I was so grateful that that I was told about access to work I was so grateful that I made contact with um you know I was able to carry on working and I had a most fantastic job for that time and I got an award for my job for that term a Teacher of the Year award for, I think, going above and beyond. Even when I'd been ill, I carried on doing the job. Um,
0: your, your access to work—could you briefly uh, tell me the process that you had to go through to to um, claim? And was it onerous?
1: It wasn't onerous at all. It was very straightforward. Um, I had to get—I can't remember the actual detail of how I went, how I got it. But I it really was straightforward. Um, so I just went on to a website, put in access to work, would have got through to somebody um, who's incredibly helpful. They're so supportive. What could they do to help me to get to work? Um, You know, whether or not it was public transport or in my case, it was a taxi and how they could help me to do it and to afford it. Um, I had to keep all the receipts and I would send in the claims. The money came in straight away. It It was a really good process and would have carried on for as long as I didn't have a license. So that that was something that I, I was really grateful for.
0: Yeah, sounds excellent, which is quite a surprise from a government system. There.
1: Absolutely. Well, they explained it to me by saying that it was because um, they wanted the revenue from the tax and the national insurance. So it was worth it for them to keep me in work, quite apart from um, – you know, your own mental health and how how much one needs to work to, to feel useful.
0: So h- how far were you travelling and how much was the taxi costing?
1: It was quite a lot of money, actually. It was, I think it was about, tw- I think it was £26 each way, so £52 a day, of which I think I paid about 40-something. Oh, sorry, they paid, the government paid Forty something, and I paid about 11, 12 pounds.
0: So, to actually claim it, did you just say, "I'm not allowed to drive because of they've taken away my license"?
1: I had to have evidence. So I had to have a letter from the DVLA and from my doctor. But again, we you know really quite straightforward things to to get hold of. Oh,
0: good. When I interrupted you earlier, you were just about to tell me about another change in your life.
1: Yeah. So what what we did as a family. Um, my husband, as I say, had been in the army. Been in the army for a very long time. He was offered a job in the Middle East, um, which sounds absolutely bizarre. But I felt very strongly that that he. I felt strongly that he had he his life the, the life that we'd expected. Bearing in mind this was when I was on the beta blockers, and that I was not working. I was. Um, I was not a very good person to be around. And I felt like I had spoilt his life and that he was just going to spend the next few years kind of living out his um, the end of his military career. And I I just wanted something to to improve things for him because he'd given me back my life. And I just I know that sounds all very dramatic, but we talked a lot um, and finally came to the decision that he would leave the army. And so he left the army and he moved to Kuwait. And he uh, he is very very happy in his job. He loves earning a lot of money. And we were uh, as a result of the money that he now earns, we are able to live the life that we want. In um, we moved out of the village um, and moved to Bath. And thought where in where in the world do we want to live? And thought. Bath would be you know if you could choose anywhere that we we wanted to live in Bath Um, it means it meant that whilst I couldn't drive it made no difference I got a free bus pass from the council um, again as a result of having a letter from the doctor and from the DVLA saying that I couldn't drive the the council gave me a a basically an old age pensioners um, bus pass which meant that I could walk and walk and walk downhill so we live on a hill but I could get the bus up the hill um, uh, which again was fantastic so we moved to Bath he would we moved to, to Bath as a family he moved to Kuwait he's fulfilled in himself and in his job Um, my youngest daughter Jemima who'd been with me when I had the cardiac arrest came out of boarding school and lives at home with me now Um, and we made various other changes to kind of I call it crafting the life I want to kind of work out what it is that that we all wanted to make us happy, um, and and that's what we've done. So
0: you mentioned your daughter there. Was she, Was she? Did she come home partly because of what had happened to you and your husband moving away?
1: Um, Jemima, Jemima. The story of Jemima is is a difficult one for me to tell. So I'll I'll tell it as well as I can and hope I won't get upset. Jemima. Um, When I first had the cardiac bearing in mind it was July and she went back to boarding school in the September, we saw that she was really, really disturbed. All the children were disturbed. We were all unhappy, but we didn't really know why. Jemima was the one who was affected the most. She stopped eating. She was sad and she was as good as you could possibly be. She was so good all the time. Um, It wasn't at all normal. It was... It was frightening for all of us um, and about um, we were just all trying to get back to normal. So we would constantly be saying to her, just get through to the weekend. I got her, brought her home or Alistair brought her home every weekend. Just get through to the weekend. Just get through to the weekend and then it will be fine. Um, I, I don't know why we didn't just bring her home, but I suppose it was that desperate um, need of ours to to get back to normal, whatever normal was, um, you know, and the, if we brought her out of school, that was a dramatic thing to do because if you take a child out of a boarding school situation in the military as we had then, she wouldn't have been able to get back and we were worried that that would jeopardise her, her future. If we moved abroad, she wouldn't have the continuity of education that the, that the allowance is given for. So there were lots of things involved in our decision-making, but, um, not least you know we just wanted it to be normal we wanted me back to work we wanted Alistair back to work and and the girls to be okay and just through sheer wanting it rather than actually looking at the situation as it was anyway Jemima came home one day and and we had yet another conversation we're sitting around the kitchen table and um and she broke she just broke she We'd been called in by the teacher to say that she was just walking around the playground on her own. She wasn't talking to anyone. They were desperately worried about her. She seemed so unhappy. She wasn't behaving badly. Her she was trying her best at her work, but they keep seeing her just gazing into the middle distance and looking so unhappy. And so we were talking about this and saying, Well, you know, darling, what can we do? We'll do anything we can to help you. You can come home if you want to. What we'll do whatever you want. And um so we're round the kitchen table and then she kicks the chair back and she just shouts at us and says you have no idea what it was like you have you didn't see your mummy die in front of you you didn't um watch what happened they had taken her down in the farmhouse they were looking after her beautifully and kindly but she said her memories were so vivid she she shouted at us describing the room with blue flashing lights all round, flashing around the lights from the ambulance and the people running up and down the stairs. And then she said the thing that broke my heart the most, she said, then they started to bring me down on a kind of chair bed thing with all these wires and a mask over my face. And she said she quickly turned her face away because she simply couldn't bear to think that that would be the last view of her mummy. <laughs> And she said all this and it all came out and and it was it was absolutely horrendous to um, to experience and then you know we we decided then that we would we would do anything we could because she'd clearly had a had some kind of a breakdown we then you know just comforted her and took her up to bed and um, she slept for nearly. 24 hours solid um, and then we went we sorted out with the school that she'd no longer be a boarder we moved I moved to a flat in Monmouth where she was at school and um, and then um, took her out of the school at the end of the school year and the army and the school were brilliant and, and sorted out the funding for it and um, yeah and so that was Jemima's PTSD story Except that the, the the good thing about it was because we took her seriously because we enacted the changes, the change was almost overnight improvement. Um, the teacher said to us even on the f- first week she said I've got back a new girl. She's so much happier because she's now living at home. She's eating properly. She put weight back on. She she you know she just came came back to life again. And we also arranged for her to um, to see a mental health um, uh, agency, and they just had one interview with all of us, and then one hour and a half of her on her own, and she came out of it practically skipping. And I think what had happened was that we had taken her seriously, and also we had, um, you know, she'd really been heard and. By these by these um, mental health um, nurses who'd really taken her seriously, as she'd wanted, as she'd wanted to be. She knew we took her seriously, but she wanted people to realise what had happened to her. And and she and ever since then, although I keep a very close eye on her mental health, she is in such a much better place than she than she was then.
0: Yeah, that's an incredible story there, and uh, I think it. it I mean. It, it's yes, one thing that I always think, and a lot of others have said, that, that the partners and the the witnesses of a cardiac arrest go through a, probably the worst trauma they're ever going to go through, and uh, they tend not to get the the help and uh, care that they need unless unless it really gets to critical uh, critical mass or critical point in their lives, and uh, it, it there needs to be some sort of uh, Debriefing or of a care plan for them as well. I believe.
1: I, I believe that really strongly. Yeah, really strongly. I agree. couldn't agree with you more. But you kind of muddle through, don't you? And we we did get what she needed. But then I also have two other daughters who also, you know, I, I don't, I won't go into their stories. But you know, it, it affected everyone. I don't know that we helped everyone.
0: Yeah. So it's affected me. It's a very moving story, and uh,
1: oh, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> that's
0: all right. <laughs> I, yeah, I know, and uh, I know exactly what you're going through. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate that my children weren't around when mine happened, but uh, I, I really take my hat off to you to for sharing, which is obviously incredibly painful uh, memories, um, but hopefully other people can. Learn from it and uh, lessen the pain for some others in the future.
1: Well, it would be wonderful if it if it did and i I do think, like you've said then if if the support was available for the for the wider family as well, I mean not everybody's going to be affected, but those that are it, it makes a huge difference if you if you're taken seriously, if your concerns are taken seriously, and I know that we did the right thing by Jemima um, so so i am i am quite proud of how we dealt with it in the end you know we couldn't help the cardiac arrest happening but we were able to affect um how we dealt with with what you know it took us a while to see what was happening and i can forgive us for why it took a while even though i wish it hadn't taken us as long but it, i'm so glad we we did what we did to support her and get her through that
0: we, you, in the past uh, five years, you've been through quite a lot and made a lot of uh, changes to your your life, haven't you? And
1: uh, I have indeed, yeah, yeah, we have. And actually, the the changes are fantastic. So, um, uh, the the biggest change was moving to Bath, um, and and and. Living in a place where I can walk to everything, so that if I do ever lose my license again, um, I, I, it won't, it would, it would be sad, but it wouldn't be the end of the world at all. Although, also the other thing that you learn, don't you, is nothing is the end of the world except the end of the world. And I think that's the other thing that I take from what has happened to me: that you have to, you have to work out what it is that you want in life, and, um, and try and make it happen. So. I've I have um done various things in in my present life that that have really kind of fulfilled dreams for me. We finally got a dog. You could perhaps hear occasionally yeah. <laughs> um little little noises. Um and Mr. Chu has come into our life and has changed it dramatically. Not only does he give everyone in the family a fantastic focus of love and comfort and adoration. And also he gets me out and I walk for an hour, up to an hour every day um, because I have to, but also because getting out and walking has is, is just been the most fantastic activity that I could have done. I know every, people do all kinds of different activities, but just walking outside in nature is, it, it just makes you glad to be alive. Seeing the changing seasons, seeing meeting other people, talking to people just it is so life enhancing to have a dog in your life on on every level i really think they should be issued by the nhs (laughs) um for in so many ways that they're, they're just fun he has he is brilliant he's only a tiny little yorkshire terrier and yet his effect is phenomenal um so that that was one thing getting a dog i also feel really as so many of us do, um, feel like I wanted to give something back. I wanted to do something. I know many people do um, raising money for defibrillators or or whatever they do, whatever they choose. It's uh, I admire that enormously. I personally um, wanted to fulfil a dream that I'd wanted for a long time, which was to become a Samaritan. So um, once we settled into Bath, but uh, uh, two and a half years ago, I started my Samaritan training and I now do that. And it has been incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, on so, uh, on so many levels, um, I, I feel like I do something that's really valuable. I have met one, made great friends and, um, I've got involved because I've got time. I've got involved uh, in, in the, running the branch in a more um a more proactive way as well which again has been really satisfying and it's not giving back as far as the um you know the, what happened to us but it's giving back in 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 another way um and I I I'm really glad that I've been I've been able to have the life that I can do this and finally the other thing that I that I do now is I've always wanted to write and so last year I started an MA in creative writing, which again gives me enormous pleasure um, and really feel that that has, you know, there are lots of other things, but those i really feel like I'm crafting the life that, that I want. I'm living the life that I want and trying to enable the people I love to do the same.
0: That sounds fantastic. It's, it's amazing what you've achieved in the, through the adversity that you've gone through. Um, uh, again, I'll take my hat off to you for, for doing all of that. Um,
1: well, the other thing that I'd say, which this is bizarre after all the things I've told you and crying and everything, but I honestly now think I am actually glad that it happened. The cardiac arrest. I, If I could turn the clock back and it didn't happen, I don't know that I would.
0: And you're not the first person who's actually said that to me. Uh, I know um, Michelle, uh, Michelle Edmonds, She used to say that, and I was like, "I can't believe it." He went, why, why, why would you think that? And um, but Dr. Keeble's also said to me, or he, he said I've, when I've heard him talk, he, say, he says that you know, for a lot of people, it's the worst thing that's happened. A lot, of, a lot of people, it's is something that happened and it's made their life totally different but there are some people who actually it's the best thing that's happened to them and uh it's quite bizarre. Well I bizarre. think also
1: I, I think it's also about um it's about choices though isn't it because I really do not want to be a victim of this I I am a cardiac arrest survivor not a victim I had something as we did as we all did had something terrible happened and I just feel that it's my choice on whether or not I go down with that, just as it was my choice whether or not to slide down that road, that, that slope I told you when, I was, when it was all white. It's my choice to either go with all the gloom and doom and all of that, or to try and make something good out of something horrendous. And that's what I've tried to do. Are you okay? Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> It's, okay. well, it's like like open therapy. <laughs> well, I was going to touch
0: on that a little bit. Did yeah. ha- have you had any um any therapy or counseling at all for what's happened to you?
1: Well, this is I think this is quite a funny story, but um it wasn't at the time. I went one of the early times when I went to the doctor quite soon after uh it happened. I went to the doctor and I said I think I need some help with this. I don't think I'm coping very well. It was when I had my darkest thoughts. (laughs) And so he arranged for me to see a counsellor at the surgery. And I went along to the counsellor and I told her the story and I couldn't stop crying. I was gulping and sobbing and all sorts of things. And um, at the end of the session, she said, she kind of took a deep breath because she just said, I think that what you're feeling is completely understandable because what you've been through is so terrible. And that was it that was what she offered me and I I'm afraid that wasn't enough so it that was never enough so I kind of lost my confidence within it with asking for any um counseling and I have just tried always to on my long dog walks when I'm not listening to podcasts or or desert island discs or whatever I I talk to myself and um Try and work it all through. I mean, I, I feel I have worked it through nearly five years, um, and I, I feel I've worked, I've, I've working it through. I, I feel, I feel okay about it all now.
0: You've come to some acceptance of it all.
1: Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. I'm, I'm at peace with what happened.
0: I mean, I, I, I interviewed. I mentioned prior to starting the podcast that we were, that I was talking. Um, with one of the nurses at the CTC and uh, we talked about the video they did, which has happened, happened to be called life after cardiac arrest as well. And in that there's a psychiatrist and he talks about something called uh, adjustment disorder. Now I must admit I'd never heard of that before, but I think it's very applicable to to us um, and that uh, it does take a while for people to adjust to, to their life again, um, because nothing is normal, in, in air quotes, again, really, is it? It's
1: No, no, it isn't.
0: Um, one of the things that I've always found good, and I think you did um, as well, is meeting other uh, survivors and partners, getting to meet, meet other partners. And um, I know you came along to the Guinness World Record last year, and you also... To, came to several other previous ones, and uh, and even organised uh, one in your new home city of Bath. You yes, we
1: can, did. Um, yeah, which, which was wonderful to um, to do. Trudy, who's another survivor who lives quite nearby, and I did it together. And I can't remember how many. There weren't many, um, but you do really feel with people who've um, who've experienced it more recently than us that it that it makes a massive um it makes a massive difference to to share your experience with um people who've who've been through it already who really get it like as we've always said i i don't know about you but i don't feel the need in the same way to share my my cardiac arrest story so much because we're that much further down the road and because of because of how i feel about it but I really see value in being able to hear other people's um, experiences and and for them to know that you know where they're coming from. You know the trauma that they're going through. and But you also know that it will get better because it has got better for you. And for most of us, it, over time, as time does her magic, it really does, things become easier. And um, it's lovely to be able to pass that message on in, in whatever capacity.
0: Indeed, I think uh, that's what I, I hope that people will stay in the group as they progress through their recovery so that they can sort of feed back their experience uh, exactly how you just said that um, you know, people do pro- take time to process it and adjust over months and, and years. Um, and it's always good to let the new people in the group know that it will get better, like just like you said.
1: Um, yeah, very much so, Yeah. It,
0: and you know we we've got a another big meet up in September in uh, in Oakham in the center of the country. Are you coming along to that?
1: Yes, both Jemima and I will be there. We've booked oh. already. Oh, she's, excellent. She's I think we did it before it was um it was uh made open to the to the group. So I I wanted to have a a room uh that I you know I wanted the room that I wanted. And so I booked it straight away as soon as I heard about it. Oh, um, brilliant. And Jemima's very excited about the pool. So we are we will be there.
0: Excellent. Well, there's, it's got a—it's uh, a very nice hotel and got lots of nice facilities. So it's certainly got. Uh, if she's not too interested in listening to the talks, um, she's got plenty she can go and pamper herself with. Because I imagine she'd be fifteen or so now. Would that be right?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, she's fifteen next. Uh, she's fifteen in July, so she's. Uh, she might be too young to do some of the things, but we might like smuggle her in. She's very tall. <laughs>
0: Okay, I think we're sort of probably coming towards the end of it now. And um, one thing I like to ask survivors and partners of um, what tips and advice have you got for other um, people going through the similar thing? Although you've given some great advice and tips already, so I don't know if it's uh, superfluous, this this question now. But if you can... I think
1: if I had to say thinking about what we've said now um, I w- I would say well there's low there's so many things aren't there but we are survivors we are not victims we choose how we react to this that's probably the most important message um, and get a dog <laughs> get a dog and don't look back look yeah. forward <laughs>
0: I say it's always been on my mind because I've heard so many other people say that as well, and I think, oh, I don't know if I can face with all of the uh, the nasty bit at the end that you have to do with the dog. But <laughs> I seem the a nasty, lot of it, what
1: at the end of the dog or at the end the, of the dog <laughs> when you no
0: no when you take the dog out for a walk and it does its business and you go oh no well
1: then get a small dog get a small <laughs> yeah,
0: dog <I> was <laughs> that your reasoning behind getting a, a Yorkshire Terrier then.
1: No, that little thing came just came into our life. That's another story. That's a whole other story.
0: <laughs> it's funny that the twists and turns that life takes us, eh?
1: Absolutely. Very much so.
0: Well, I've taken well over an hour of your time and you've taken us on a incredibly emotional journey through uh, the last five years of your life, Joanne, and I'm incredibly honoured to be able to... Uh, speak with you on it and uh, I really really thank you and I hope lots of people get some uh, nuggets of hope and um, joy out of some of what you've said because you know you've really shown that there is light at the end of the tunnel um, with the sort of positive things that you're doing with your life and the, the dark times that you've had as well so Thank you very much again, and uh, I look forward to seeing you and speaking with you and Gemma in uh, September. Thanks very much.
1: Thank you very much, Paul. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sorry I cried, but, um, yeah, you got me warts and all.
0: (laughs) Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.
1: Okay, bye then.